have a collect call from an inmate at the Washington Correctional Center. To accept the call, press 5. There's nothing like waking up to the sound of clacking and buzzing as the doors crack in the morning after count clears. Waking up to the reality of life in prison. For some, it is just a stop along their journey, a milepost, an experience. For others, it is a revolving door, in and out, in and out, and that's their way of life, stuck in the cycle, pulling and eating away at them. And then for some, it becomes their destination as the hammer came down and that judge issued them a death sentence. The slow way, by way of life in prison. This is the life of a lifer by Taylor Conley. Hello, friends and family. How you doing today? Well, I'm back with another wonderful episode of Life of a Life for this Taylor Conley here. Today, before we get into our interview, we got a we got a cool dude on the line today that is somebody who spent time inside and got out and has done some wonderful things with his life, learned some lessons and really opened his eyes to a whole world that he didn't have a clue to before he went inside. So I'm really anxious and and excited about hearing from our guests today. But really what I want to talk to you about at this time, though, is just the holidays. We just went through the holiday season, and I know I talked a little bit before about this, but for me it was a difficult time. It's a difficult time to be away from people, to be away from families, and then going through, I don't know, for me it was kind of melancholy-like this year. More difficult than others for whatever reason, I'm not sure. But, you know, getting through times of, of hardness is something that is difficult. You know, not just for somebody incarcerated, but somebody out there. But we're talking about the life of a lifer right now. And, and I had some very, very hard times that weighed on me. Like, oh, I almost felt like giving up. And that was the first time I felt like that for a long time, ever since I've, I've been, you know, on a journey of doing good and positive stuff and, and making different decisions in my life and, and turning things around. I felt like. Maybe it was too much. And it was funny because that's a question that I was asked not too long ago. And something that I really value is about never giving up. You know, I've, I've talked to people about that a lot over the years and I've spoke about it a lot. But I got to where things were built up so much and so many different angles of stuff going on that I, the thoughts crossed my mind of just throwing in the towel and saying, you know what, this is too much. Like, I don't know if I can really do all this stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm 
due to serving life, life in prison. I'm not going to be able to ever get out of here. And I, I just want to thank people that are there, that are strong for me, that supported me. Because, you know, a lot of people don't have that kind of support. Somebody that will actually be there for them in those low times. And that's why a lot of people do give up. Because having that support, having somebody there that you can talk to about that stuff is, you know, everybody needs that. Whether you're in here or out there, but the magnitude of, of these things are a little bit more amplified when you're confined and you're just away from everybody and everything and just around the same people in here who a lot of people don't care in there's a lot of negativity surrounding you. So when you're trying to do something positive, a lot of times that gets brought down because people don't really care. So I just, you know, I have some people that were there for me when and, and I opened myself up and, man, I went through some difficult times, but you know what, that's overcoming that and being able to communicate is what got me through these hard times. Well, I not only want to say that I thank those people that, that are there for me, I also want to say that if people are going through difficulties and struggles within themselves or within their surroundings or whatever's going on, that opening up and talking to somebody about it can really help you. And being able to find somebody that's supportive of you no matter what is very valuable. So, you know, I encourage people to really reach out to somebody that's incarcerated or just reach out to somebody in need and be that person that's there for you because they can also be there for you, you know? They can also be that person that's there for you when you need somebody because when you're there for somebody else and you care and you're not expecting anything in return, you're just there because you care, that goes so far in life, like, that's more valuable than anything that you could ever buy, anything that you could ever give anybody as far as, like, something physical or something like, a, a, you know, a piece of jewelry or a, something that is monetary. Actually caring about somebody, just unconditionally caring and loving and being there through what they're battling through what they're going through. It, it means a lot, especially when you're in a position to where you're serving life in prison and, you know, sometimes you question whether it really matters. Like, what's the point, you know? Sometimes I get that thought in my mind and then I, I revert back and, and I, I got to think about it. It's like, you know, it doesn't matter that I'm doing life in prison. I do believe that I'll get out one day. I hope, I have that hope. Hope is also a powerful thing. And so when you have that hope and you have somebody that, that cares and you have a, a vision, you know, and, and you have a purpose. So finding that purpose, but ultimately hope, care, and purpose is what has pulled me through the difficult times. And I think that if more people reached out and had compassion and just showed that they cared about another human being to when they might not have anybody that care 
that could actually make a, a significant impact in an individual's life and a, a significant impact in society's life as a whole. So, anyways, that's just a little something that, you know, I'm going through, something that's going on, and I'm getting excited, though, it, through all the tribulations and setbacks that we've had throughout trying to get all this stuff together, finally, we were going to be able to put out this album, The Fruity Taylor Project. We've put it all together, and uh, I'm really excited about that. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to really actually hearing it, and I mean, seeing what happens, because I know that things are possible. Nothing is impossible. And when you look through that lens of nothing being impossible, we're able to accomplish stuff like I'm doing life in prison, but we still were able to come together with the, you know, my good and close friend Caleb Twidwell and, and through everybody that made it possible, put this album together that we wrote in prison, you know, some over five years ago, and now we're going to put it out and see what happens with it. But at, none, at the very least, it's a great accomplishment. And I hope that you'll be able to tune in and, and check it out. It's going to be available wherever you find your music at. We'll have it there. And if not, just let us know and we'll get it there. It's it's something that has a different compilation of different music on there. Uh, the way that it's put together is incredible. You know, the, the way that the journey was traveled through to even get it to that point is amazing. And uh, I just, I'm, I'm just grateful, and I'm happy to actually see this thing happen. So I can't wait, and I hope that you check it out. We'll we'll do some previews and samples on here. We'll have we'll have another later episode, maybe next week or the week after that, to where we'll be talking more about it. But yeah, so look forward to that, and uh, appreciate it. And here we're gonna we're gonna get our guest on the line. So uh, you guys have. A wonderful new year and I hope that all your new year's resolutions will come true and stick to it stick make a plan make goals that are tangible and build on those and you will achieve whatever it is that you want to achieve no matter what it is possible okay so we got uh, Mark Jackson on the line here you, you there Mark I am here Hey, how you doing today, man? I'm doing great. How are you getting along? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. It's the, you know, new year, new things going on, and uh, I'm appreciative of you coming on our show today. This is the life of a lifer. You know, I'm serving a life without the possibility of parole sentence and just striving towards being able to do good things while still in prison, but making an impact on not only my surroundings but potentially the world out there so that people just like myself and others aren't forgotten about and so from what I understand you've done some time yourself and I'd, I'd like to just hear about your story and your experiences and how you've gotten out from being in prison being incarcerated to entering back into society and what you've done to uh, I guess better yourself and and 
work as well in helping others because that's from what I understand what you've been doing you wrote a book you you've done all these things and we want to hear about it well I'm honored to talk to you and I hope uh, your listeners uh, enjoy this and get a lot out of it but yes I, I will tell you about my crime I was a stock market trader for over 30 years and I made tens of millions of dollars trading stocks and I could have retired I'm 65 years old today I could have retired in my late 30s or early 40s but I got addicted to the power of money and one thing about the stock market that is was very enticing to me and is enticing I think to a lot of people is you can make or lose a lot of money very quickly it's not like investing in real estate where you maybe buy something and hold on to it for 20 years you can buy and sell a stock within minutes and if you are on the right side of the trade you can make a ton of money in minutes and that's really it's almost like a drug it, it's it's a real high it's a very powerful feeling to make a lot of money and so even though I didn't need to do this I raised money from outside investors because I thought if I had more money to invest I could make more money well I promised rates of return to these people that were higher than the norm which should have been a warning sign to them but because they trusted me it wasn't a warning sign and when the financial crisis hit in 2007, 8, and 9, um, I, I in essence turned my business into a Ponzi scheme where I couldn't make any money, but people were asking for money, and so I was in essence paying people money that was somebody else's money. I didn't know whose it was, and I didn't care. I just wanted to get through that period, uh, and, and hopefully things would turn around, and I could trade my way out of the mess, and nobody would know the difference. Well, that never did happen. And so I ultimately got indicted on 59 counts by a Denver grand jury. I'm in Denver, Colorado. And I pled guilty to one count of racketeering under the Colorado Organized Crime Act. And I was very defiant at that time. This was 2000 and late 2009, early 2010. I took a plea deal. Uh, the plea deal was from zero to 20, meaning I could have walked or I could have gotten up to 20 years. I focused on walking. I didn't think I had done anything wrong. A lot of white-collar criminals never think they do anything wrong. And I got sentenced to 15 years in prison and completely shocked. And I was sent to a prison in, in Colorado uh, called the Buena Vista Correctional Facility. The nickname is the Thunderdome because it was full of violent gang members, fights, stabbings, killings. And me, a white, 55-year-old man at the time, white-collar criminal, who'd never even gotten a parking ticket before. Needless to say, I was scared to death. And as soon as I walked into that prison, I was immediately classified as a chomo, a child molester, because of my looks. But the one thing that saved me is that I had a minimus, a description of my charges, and it said that I was a, a white-collar criminal, convicted of racketeering under the Colorado Organized Crime Act, all of a sudden, I was treated with respect. And I had to keep earning respect by learning how to be a good inmate. But that that happened at a later time because within six weeks of me being incarcerated, I contracted a flesh-eating disease called necrotizing fasciitis. 
And I literally, I had to plead with the officers to get me help. And at first they were screaming and yelling at me. I was working in the kitchen. And until I collapsed on the floor of the kitchen, they thought I was just, you know, trying to get out of work. And, you know, I got rushed to the hospital. And next thing I know, I'm in a hospital in Denver. I had died on the operating table and had to take, was flown on a flight for life helicopter to a hospital in Denver where I, I was hanging on to life and death. I, it was a tight little ha- uh, rope there. And this nurse said to me, she said, one of the, re- one of the ways you're going to live is if you want to live. Well, at the time, I wasn't sure I wanted to live because I had this 15-year sentence. I had a $21 million restitution. I didn't know if my family or friends would be with me. So I thought maybe it'd be easier to die. But then I thought, you know what? I can't go out like this. I can't leave this legacy to my family. So I'm going to fight to live. And I and I remember kind of relaxing and saying, well, if I do die, I made the I at least made the decision that I wanted to fight. Well, it took me nine months to recover, and uh, was ultimately sent to a prison uh, in Sterling, Colorado, another very violent place. Uh, but I ultimately learned how to be a really good inmate. I learned how to get along with people, and I became a tutor, and I helped over 100 uh, men get their GED. And the feeling of satisfaction I got from that was better than any amount of money ever provided me. So I started to learn what it was like to be a real human being. And I ultimately served four years, seven months of my 15-year sentence, Spent nine months in a Denver halfway house, about a year on an ankle bracelet, two years on parole, and now I am, I've killed my number. And I am devoting the rest of my life to trying to educate the public about just because someone's in prison, you can't forget about them. Because everybody has got the ability to change if they want to. There's a phrase that I always went by. And you might have heard it before. Prison is a university for the wise man and a playground for the fool. And I always use prison as a, as a tool to better me, better myself, take responsibility for what I did, and to better others. And now I use that, what I learned in prison. I go back to prisons. I talk to inmates about uh, the, the struggles of when they get out how hard it is to reacclimate into society, but it's worth it's worth all those struggles. Freedom, you have to want to have freedom, and that want of freedom has to be greater than the frustration you're going to feel. And I am actually meeting with the head of the Department of Corrections on Monday uh, and see how I can get further involved. But uh, I really am going to devote, I have to make a living as well, uh, so I've got some interest, other interests going on, but my main focus in life is to educate the public that these men they all deserve second chances and you know if somebody keeps going back five six seven times well maybe that's a different story but these are men that deserve a second chance and many of them if they get that second chance are going to be productive citizens great workers they could be great family people uh but people have to want to help them and I'm trying to do my part to make that happen. Wow, Mark, that's a 
quite compelling story you got there. I really, uh, I really got captivated by it, man. Well, that 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 was the Cliff Notes version, man, because I know we don't have a a ton of time. Uh, I do have a book that I wrote in prison uh, called Greed, Survival, Redemption: How Dying in Prison Saved My Life, and I wrote ninety five percent of that in prison, and that wasn't easy to do because. You know, my book's about 400-some pages, so I couldn't send a whole lot of pages out through the mail in prison because if I sent them, you know, the the guards might say, what is this? They might open it up, read it, and toss it. So I had to send two, three sheets of paper a day for like two years to get it to my family. And uh, But, wow. yeah, it's, yeah, that's uh, – so that's how that happened. But um, uh, So your book's yeah, out right now then? The book is out now. You can buy it on Amazon. Uh, it's on BarnesandNoble.com. You, you know, you can you can buy it in, in paperback on Amazon or buy the Kindle version where you could read it on your phone or computer. Uh, it's also in a bookstore, if anyone in Denver is listening to this, called The Tattered Cover, which I'm honored to have it there because that's pretty tough to get your book in there. And it's been out since April of this year, and... Uh, uh, you know, I don't know how well it's selling. I think it's doing okay. But most importantly, it's a legacy for my family. And it's anybody that reads it will learn about how I changed and how I'm not the only one that can change. Lots of people can change. So I'm thrilled. I don't care if I make a dime on the book. I just want it out there for people to learn about what it is to be in prison and what it is to do your part to get out and become a better person. Yeah, I think that's great, man. I uh, I can't wait to get it. Actually, I'm gonna go ahead and, and order it myself because oh, great! I would like to hear the more in-depth story that you're talking about. And I, what what really stuck out to me besides the fact that you went through all that trauma while you were in there of almost dying. Yeah. And coming back and, and how that basically kind of changed the trajectory of your life. But, that's right. And I mean, that's that's heavy duty right there. But Thank you. The fact that you went through all this stuff and you've never been in trouble in your life, so you weren't really familiar or acclimated with the system or any of the types of people, like you'd never really interacted oh with these gosh. types of people not, before. Not so, at all. Not at so all. So you were just kind of learned all this as you were going. Oh and my gosh! You were able. Yes. You were able to see the fact that people can change. I mean, you're living proof of that yourself. But you were able to see these guys who who have been in the system for a long time, and I'm sure that you ran across people that were serving life sentences. I was cellmates with a couple of them. You bet. And so. The fact that they have life sentences in, in America and there is no opportunity for these individuals to get out or even have a second chance is something that we talk about a lot on this show because we're, we're showing examples of people that can change that, and a lot of these people, they were very young when these, when these incidences took place that wound them up in prison, whether they did it or didn't do it, but were just in the wrong place, the wrong people, the wrong timing, uh, or, you know, they're guilty as sin, but yet somewhere along the way that they have grown and been able to uh, 
make these changes and now there, there is no opportunity for them. There is no option. So it's really tough. And and I, you know, I, I came to prison as a 55 year old man, and I, you know, I thought, well, my gosh, if I served my whole 15 years, I may die in here. And uh, I, I mean, and I was interacting with people from all the gangs and the white supremacists, and you know, again, I I had never even gotten a parking ticket before, and. And I just learned real quickly that I had to adapt and respect everybody. But um, it's true. If if you commit a crime and you're a youngster, I mean, there are a lot of young people. I have two boys that are now uh, grown with kids. But when they were young, they did a lot of stupid stuff, you know, and they just didn't. It, it, they didn't go to an extreme. But everybody, when they're young. I mean, it's how you grow into a man or a woman. You make mistakes, and and you, you shouldn't be branded for the rest of your life. There should be some kind of opportunity to prove to to prove to the outside world that you can be a productive citizen. And that's uh, we have a new prison chief here in Denver or in Colorado, and he came from Alaska, and he is very. A very progressive man, and I saw a play on uh, December 12th called A Christmas Carol, and it was put on by inmates at the Colorado Women's Prison, and after the play, these women had to get back in their prison gear uh, garments because they're, they're incarcerated. We were at the uh, University of Denver, the campus, so they were allowed to travel from the prison to this campus. There were cops everywhere, of course, but they did an unbelievable job. And then afterwards in the Q&A, they were just saying, this is so amazing that I was given an opportunity to prove to you, the audience, that I can be somebody, that I can, that I have a skill, that I can express myself and entertain you guys. And it was touching. I mean, it brought a tear to my eye. And you know, they're saying the same thing. We just need a chance. Yes, we made a mistake. We need a chance. And it's it's quite a deal. And the way this play was put on is because our new prison chief allowed it to happen. And I'm going to meet with him Monday, and I'm going to see what I can do. But we need more people like that that believe in in, in you guys and me. Uh, it's humanity. That, you know, at yeah, the core humanity. of it, it's just humanity. That's right, and not just you know, lock people up and forget about them. Forget know? about them, and now That's you know not there the are answer. some people. Yeah, I imagine there are some people that deserve to be locked up forever. I mean, there are some really, you know, mentally unstable people. There are people that don't want to be productive. Uh, there are people right. that get out and commit other, you know, commit horrible crimes a week or two after they get out. I mean. That's that's one thing, but people that absolutely want to change need to have the opportunity to do so. And and, and that is what that is what we're advocating for here. Is, yeah, it's not that everybody gets out. It's it's that there's an opportunity for everybody to get out. That right. is, if they've demonstrated these things, you know that there is an opportunity available. You know, and if they screwed that up, then yeah. They would never get back out again. No, then that's but, on them. Yeah. Uh, you know, I guess the only thing, yeah, excuse me, but uh, 
that we have a governor in uh, Colorado who's also very progressive. He just pardoned four guys and commuted the sentence of four. Now, that's just eight inmates out of I don't know how many thousands in the state system. But one of the guys that he commuted a sentence is a guy I was in prison with, and he was also a white-collar criminal. And the guy is a very smart man, and he made some really bad choices, but he deserved it. He had a life sentence because he went to trial and lost, but the governor commuted his sentence, so he's going to be on parole no later than March. Well, you can't commute thousands of inmates, so there's got to be another, another way to get guys like you a chance and... Somehow we got to figure that out. So in Washington, there is uh, we're, we're we've been trying to get parole because we don't have parole in Washington State. Oh, we've I didn't know trying, that. Okay. Yeah, a lot of people don't. Most of the people that I've talked to in Washington State don't even know that Washington State doesn't have parole, but it hasn't had it since about 1984, somewhere around. Oh my goodness, that's not right. That's not right at all. And so. What we, I mean, there's a bill in the Senate right now, which is supposed to be going in the next session, which is a short session. It's Senate Bill 5819, and it would basically establish a parole system for long-term individuals. After 20 years, they would get a review, right? Okay. They, would, they would get to have the review. And basically, what it would do, would it, it would enable individuals the opportunity but it, it would you would have to pass you know like a rigorous assessment and and meet the requirements and you know obviously that's necessary i i understand right. that but it would provide an opportunity for individuals and so that's why uh there's going to be a candlelight vigil in olympia which is the capital of washington at, right at the actual capital building on january 20th and they're going to light a candle for all the there's 1300 individuals right now that are sentenced to basically die in prison currently that with, wow. with sentences that exceed their life expectancy and so yep. they're going to light 1300 candles and uh you know my my good friend and brother that i served time with caleb twidwell he's going to be singing a song that i wrote that that he helped me to write it's about you know, basically serving life in prison, and uh, it's called So Cold. It's it's out there. It's available on uh, all the major outlets to receive music. But he he has recorded the song. He's going to sing that song there at that candlelight vigil and dedicate it to all the 1,300 people that that are currently sentenced to die. So hopefully, that's wonderful. Yeah, hopefully, man, that that you know people are going to hear it but there's a lot of opposition you know there's there's a lot of people that don't want to see that you know they they're sure. really they're really opposed to it and i i just wish that people would you know look at individuals instead of just hating everybody that you know if they've made a mistake they've done something a lot of people have a lot of remorse for different things that they've done and have overcome a lot of obstacles, and now they're just, you know, that's the answer, just to waste away in prison when yeah. a lot of good can be done, you know? Like yeah, myself. I, I get it. I totally get it. Yeah. 
Uh, myself, I try to do all that I can to give back. You know, like I'm I'm involved in different programs that mentor different programs that are about self repair. Uh, different programs that that give. You know, I, I go and volunteer for making teddy bears. I do that every week. Wow. And I'm also going to be starting to make toys, and we give those away to children across the world. They get sent out thousands of bears every yeah. year. We send out in different toys that we donate to organizations to give to kids. You know, I've done that for for years, and I love doing that because it feels good to give back, and it feels good to do good things like what you were talking about about teaching people. You know, I think that there's a lot of people that that do that kind of stuff and are actively making positive changes and if they were able to be released would be able to do things like what you're doing right now and, and that is go in back into prison and and also deal with people that are getting out of prison and help them but not only that young kids that were in the same situations as like what I was in I, I'm you know, went to juvenile and stuff when I was younger. I went to a behavioral modification program in Mexico and then another one in Jamaica wow. that was really oh my God. horrible when I was 15 and 16 years old. That really had, you know, that made a huge impact on my life and had, had you know, ramifications that, you know, brought me to a place to where I got myself in this situation. I don't blame that stuff, but these are existential mitigating factors that take place. And I'm just one example. There's thousands of examples out there of, you know, even millions, you know, with the system the way that it is and it keeps growing. I don't understand how anybody could ignore that and see that the way that the system is going has to change. There's no possible way. They can't afford it. The, the money factor alone of how much money it costs to incarcerate people, it, it just cannot be sustained at the trajectory no. it's headed on. You it, know what I mean? It can't. It can't, but, I, you know, you're, you're right when you said that people forget about you when you go away. Uh, if you haven't been incarcerated or if, you're, don't, if you don't know anybody that's been incarcerated or... You haven't had a family member, you know. It's it's really hard for the average person to have any. I don't know if sympathy is the word, but any desire to see these guys get out. And and uh, again, I'm so blessed that I was able to get out after four years, seven months. I could have easily done 15 years, and at age 55, that could have been a life sentence. Uh, but it's Absolutely. true. There's, yeah, so many people just say, well, uh, I mean, I, I have people that I, I had a lot of visitors, which was really nice. And I would ask about certain people and they would say, my visitors would say, well, they're not going to come to see you. They think you're a crook. Why would they want to come see you? That's what they're saying. And I say, well, I'm, I'm still Mark Jackson. I'm still a good guy. I'm doing things to better myself and better others. And, you know, I got to thinking, well, if that's, I can't be angry at them for not wanting to come see me, but I was sure disappointed. But I think that's the way a lot of society feels, is that when you go away, it's like, well, you deserve it, just throw the key away and let them rot. Well, that's, that, they have no idea what they're saying. By them saying that, they have no idea what 
what they really are saying because people do rot in there. People give up and they have no hope and and they rot and that's so wrong. It's so wrong. I just we got to come up with some answers and and this is something everyone's been grappling with for a long time. But I think now I think I think the word's getting out a little bit. It seems to be more at the forefront than it has been in my lifetime that we need to do something about this. So I suppose that's a little bit of progress. Right. Yeah, I think that there has been a little bit of progress, but they're very slow, the people that actually have the power to do anything about it, to make a decision on it because of, you know, the political ramifications. That's right. You know, what, exactly right. What it it's that's right. It's very frustrating. Um, you know, all I can say, I mean, you're you're you do good every day, do good things every day, and you, you just have to have hope. And I'm sure you wake up every day with hope. I think when a person loses hope, is when things go downhill. You just you know, even in real life, if somebody's battling a depression thing and, and they lose hope uh, or they're having a hard time finding a job or they can't get married or they can't, whatever, and they lose hope, hope hope is what keeps you going. And um, whether you're incarcerated, whether you're free, if as long as you keep that positive attitude and have hope that things are going to turn, you have a good shot. I'm just... That's the best you can do, in my opinion. And people will work to try to change the system. I mean, I'm going to do that. I am doing that. Absolutely. Hope, that's, I mean, you couldn't have said it any more better, I don't think, in that hope is what gets people up in the morning out of bed, right? Whether right. you're free or incarcerated. Right. I think when you're incarcerated, it might be, more magnified, but that's not to take away from, you know, there's a lot of people that don't have hope that are in the framework. I know it. Oh, I know. So, I know it's magnified in prison. And you know what I tried to do? I try. I mean, I knew I was incarcerated. Physically, I was incarcerated, but I just made sure that my mind was not incarcerated. And that's why I was able to write the book, and that's why I was able to help uh, tutor inmates, and that's how I was able to get out of, you know, not cower in myself, but get out and walk the yard and work out with weights and, and do what I had to do to, to be part of my new society. Uh, it was, it was the hope and confidence that things were going to get better. And there were a lot of guys that just gave up that just let their appearance go to, go, you know, to pot and, and stay in their cell and, and you know that you just got to have hope and and I, and I just that's why I say I my mind stayed free I knew I was incarcerated we got locked down all the time for fights for killings uh years ago the prison chief of Colorado got murdered by an inmate that had just gotten out of prison we were locked down for almost a month so I just never let that get to me I just said okay physically i'm locked down but mentally i could still write i could still read i could still have my television going i could still you know do things like that i just never let it get the best of me and and that that's a huge key why you're in there but 
we got to do something to get guy, guys like you out of there. That is definitely a huge key, and that's what led me to develop the ideas of what designed conviction is, and that's that's the platform that we've built and we're continuing to build, and we have two different magazine publications that we put out, and the one goes, wow. it's called Inside Design Conviction Magazine. It goes out to prisons across the country, and, uh, you know, basically what we do is we, we provide some services to people that would like them, but we also provide a platform for people who want to participate in their positive works, you know, whatever it is that they do, whether they write, whether they do artwork, whether they do crafts, whether they, whatever it is that they do. And we offer a contest to where people can send their submissions in and the winners get voted on on online on social media and stuff like that and then they get published in the outside design conviction magazine which gets distributed in an actual uh, magazine format as well as an online magazine format wow our, our different uh, platforms as well and so it, it provides an outlet to really cultivate that hope and give people hope to work towards something in the future and, and get credit for their crafts that they've done, that they've spent their time right. on, their books. You know, we have a publication company. I, I wrote a book myself, my first one uh, called The Convicted Entrepreneur, to where, you know, I, yes, I read that. get yeah, I insight that. into how people can do stuff while incarcerated. You know, mm -hmm. like they can actually do something productive and not have to get sucked into that you know, world of just prison and, and not looking outside of just these prison confine walls. You right. Know? So I, I, I just am trying to, I, I have that hope that that will take off and go somewhere and be able to provide hope for others who don't, you know, and, and something that was really rewarding is, is that in the last one, I think you actually won the contest with this thing. Oh, God, it's he sent in a piece of artwork that was like a guy inside of a cell and he and he was uh just like basically trapped in there and it was kind of a comic style deal and it said yeah. basically that he had given up on hope and that he had asked God he said God I need to find a purpose basically you know and uh he said right shortly after that he got this magazine from Design Conviction under the door and he and and he found some type of a hope and that really like sparked this guy to do something with his arts and crafts that he'd learned and it gave this guy hope man and that was the biggest Great. satisfaction and joy i've ever gotten out of anything that i've done see right and that that's great and it's similar to when i when guys got their ged and a few of them would come up to me and practically be in tears and say my mother or my wife or whoever will be so proud of me that I got my GED. It brought tears to my eyes. And wow, I actually made a difference in these people's lives. It, and I did it behind bars. So imagine what I can do if I ever get out of here, you know? And and right. again, I'm, by, I'm just blessed to have gotten out, but I'm not, you know, a lot of guys say to me, why do you keep going back into prisons? Why do you keep wanting to help? That was a a bad period of your life, just brush it under the rug and move forward. Well, to me, that's disrespecting 
my sentence and disrespecting anybody else that's in prison that wants to better themselves by saying, oh, I'm just going to brush it under the rug and pretend it never existed because it did exist and there's a lot of people that could use my help and if I can do anything, you know, if I can help one person have hope or, or expedite their release or whatever, it'll be great. And so I will never forget that I was in prison and I will always work to improve the system. And that's what I'm going to do until my dying day. I think that that's a very, very commendable thing to do, you know. And that's another good point is like the volunteers of people that come in to support different programs and stuff like that within the prison. Like we wouldn't really have a lot of these self-help and a lot of these different uh, avenues of people to be able to uh, work on their change and transformation within themselves if it wasn't for you know, people like you and, and other individuals that go in and support these programs that are within the prison, you know, that are offered but and only will be offered with the help of, you know, individuals that come in, come back in, whether they've been inside or whether they just do it out of the kindness of their heart because they want to make a difference, you know. Right, but, right. And, and that is so amazing that, that you do that and you continue to do it because, you know, it's hard. It's hard to find people that are willing to do that. And it's also hard to get people in, especially if they've served time already. I don't, I don't know about how it is in Colorado, but in here, in Washington State, they make it very difficult for people to come back in to try to you know, do different volunteer stuff and do different work within the prison system if you've done yeah. time. It, yeah. it was tough for me, but now that I'm out, it's a lot easier. But even when I was on parole, I was able to uh, get in and help, but I had to go through a tremendous amount of background checks and all that kind of thing. So it was hard, but I got it done. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know. it's not easy to, to do that, but, you know, it really makes a big difference, man. So I'm sure that I'm sure that those guys really appreciate it in uh you know, it, it's doing something with a purpose, and I believe that that is probably one of the most fulfilling things you could ever do in life, is, is finding right. a purpose and, you know, living that out, doing that. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and you're absolutely right about that. I, I may not have any money today like I used to, but I'm a much better human being, and I've got a much more divine purpose in life than I ever did. So it, it, you're absolutely right about that. Absolutely, yeah. You know, I, I view I view money as a tool to do good with. You know, people can do good with it, or they can do bad with it. I guess they can be greedy, as as you know, it, it is oftentimes done. But you can also take money and do a lot of good with it as a tool. That's right. So, you know, I. That's right. I think that uh, with stocks and, and all that stuff that you've been doing, if you ever are able to get back into that and you are able to make more money, I think that now you would have a different mindset about what you did with that money. I think you'd be able to do a whole bunch of good stuff with it, man. Totally, totally. It would be a whole different deal. And we'll see what happens, you know. I mean, again, my wife and I, we, we are just – Make it ends meet, and that's that's not 
said, as to get elicit any sympathy, it's just the facts. But uh, she loves me. I love her, and we're we're having a good life. And um, it, it's only up from here. And if, again, I'm my mission is to help guys like you move forward. And if there's anything more I can do besides talking to you today, please let me know. I appreciate it, man. I really do, and I. I hope that uh, you know. I would. I would like to, you know, maybe visit you again and, and talk to you again at a later date. Kind of get an update be, on how things are going. You know. That would and, be my pleasure. You know, just communicate with me via Twitter, like uh, like we did to get this set up, and I'm I'll always be available for you. Okay. Absolutely, man. You know, and we'll spread the word about your book, and and I look Thank forward you. to reading it. Yeah. Thank you so much, and. I wish you a great 2020, and again, I'm always going to be here for you, okay? Absolutely. All right, Mark, you have a great day, and uh, appreciate it. My take pleasure, care. man. God bless you. You take care of yourself. Bless you, too, and have a great 2020 yourself, man. I think okay. Yeah, I agree. You take care. I look forward to talking to you again. All right. Take care. All right, bye-bye now. You bet. Bye. Hey, that was a great interview. I'm really appreciative to Mark Jackson for coming on here. You know, he took time out of his busy schedule to come and and give us an interview, and and that means a lot to me. And uh, I just appreciate all the people that's been supporting us and and helping us to really spread the word and get the message out here about reform, change, and just giving a voice to people that's serving the life sentences and really making awareness about what's going on within our institutions across America because a lot of people just don't even really have a clue or an idea about it because we just get locked up and the key gets thrown away and we're never to be heard from again so I just really appreciate that I want to give a shout out to my boy Seth Anthony who's been supporting us he he's working with us and, and helping spread the word and, and get us out there man and he has his album dropping here real soon anytime check him out he's at Seth Anthony CM as in Tensure Music on Instagram he's about to drop his album 2020 Vision you can check out his interview too we, we interviewed him a few weeks back he's on the life of a lifer dot com uh, and look forward to at the end of this month our magazine coming out. We got our our one year anniversary edition of Inside Design Conviction, the magazine, which goes out to institutions across the country. But anybody is welcome to receive it if you get a hold of us on designconviction.com or hit us up on the Instagram at designconviction.com as well as a life of a lifer on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or wherever you want to get a hold of us at. We're out there, and we're just trying to do good things. We're trying to spread the word about the positive things that people are doing within these prison systems and after they get out, like Seth Anthony, who did a whole bunch of time, and now he's a rising star in the, in the music scene. I look forward to his album, and I hope that you go check it out as well. So, anyways... At this portion of the of the show, I like to answer a question, and I got a I got a good question today. 
I've got a question from somebody who wants to know about, you know, like what type of programming is available for you, as in like what type of stuff do you have in the rehabilitation department available to you? So thank you for that question. And what I would like to say about that is, is there is programs available. And the problem with it is, is that the programs are usually based towards people who do not have long sentences. Most people that have long sentences, it's more difficult to get into programming. And I understand that there's a limited budget for that. However, in all the research I've ever done and everything that shows that the more people learn and get education, the more they are likely to get out and have success. So I feel like when we offer something as a community in here that is positive, that is educational, and teaches either skills or, you know, something that modifies and is able to help you as, as a person. The more people that are able to participate in those programs are going to have much more likely chance of success. And the whole point of being incarcerated is supposed to be to be rehabilitated, which I think is, is lost in some aspects and I hope is kind of gaining momentum because I feel like people are starting to realize that and catch on that if we're going to spend money on locking people up, the best way to, in the end, make an impact on actually changing and not just locking people up and throwing away the key forever, like I was just talking about, is to do these type of things, to actually rehabilitate people and then give them the opportunity to get back out. So I just really would like to see more opportunities for people to participate in these programs and especially open it up and make it available for people with longer term sentences because then that opens the door for, hey, let's take another look at this person. Look at all this stuff that they've done. Now it is possible because, trust me, I've done a lot of stuff, but most of it is because I've been able to do it on my own and I've been able to get into positions to get into these programs and a lot of them were before you know, they stopped offering them to people with longer-term sentences. But now they they have some outside stuff, which isn't necessarily funded by the uh, Department of Corrections here. It's, you know, outside-sourced funding programs of education. And I've been able to get into some of that stuff. So I'm working on, you know, a business degree, which is great. I, I am really happy to be able to do that, but I think that if... The goal is rehabilitation, and we're working towards having some type of a system to where you're not just locking people up, you're actually trying to rehabilitate them, that more funds should be allocated towards that. And I do believe that that would be a wise investment into people because it's been proven that the more education you have, the better off you are going to be and the way less likely chance of ever coming back 
in doing the same thing. Because if you knew better, you would have done better, right? And so, I mean, it's also motivating people to actually want to get involved with that, too. I mean, it's not just that, because there's people that are eligible for that stuff that don't ever do it, but at the same time, a lot of people would like to do it, but aren't provided the opportunity to be able to. And if they were, I believe we would have better results in the end on the rehabilitation factor. So anyways, there is the candlelight vigil that's going on January 20th in Olympia, Washington at the Capitol building. And it's going to be a candlelight vigil to represent the 1,300 individuals that are basically have a, that they will die in prison. And so if, if you're in the area, you're able to attend, I encourage you to go out there. We, we want to bring away either parole or a second chance to where people can have the opportunity to be able to get evaluated and see if, hey, this guy has been rehabilitated. Let's go ahead and give him an opportunity to do something with his life instead of just wasting away in prison for the rest of it. Thank you so much for listening and please come back and join us again. Next week we got a we got a really fun guest coming on, so I look forward to it. Take care. Bye bye.